Hi, boys and girls. Like you, Santa is listening to the Merry Little Podcast of MyMerryChristmas.com. Merry greetings and welcome to this, the 65th episode of the Merry Little Podcast of MyMerryChristmas.com. My name is Jeff Westover, your host anchored at My Merry Christmas, where this year we celebrate 30 years of Christmas together online. We're pleased to announce this first episode of a new series we call The 20th Century Christmas, an in-depth look at all the 20th century bits of history and culture that make up the modern Christmas. In this episode, we look at the first decade covering the years from the turn of the century until approximately 1910. Here then, for one night only, each home throughout the English-speaking world should be a brightly lighted island of happiness and peace. Let the children have their night of fun and laughter. Let the gifts of Father Christmas delight their play. Where the treetops glisten and children listen to hear in the snow. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. We derive new strength, new courage for our work from the spirit of Christmas. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Christmas has two S's in it, and they're both dollar signs. Therefore, the Post Office Department, a branch of the federal government, recognizes this man, Chris Kringle, to be the one and only Santa Claus. And I want to look him straight in the eye, and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no-good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, hopeless, heartless, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of hallelujah! Where's the Tylenol? The world is a snowball, see how it grows, that's how it goes. Whenever it snows, the world is your snowball just for a song. All over the world, they celebrate the birth of that baby. And everybody gets time warp and wait. Now, if that ain't proof that he's the son of God, then nothing is. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. Fragile. It must be Italian. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Last year on the Merry Podcast, we took a long look at the so-called Victorian Christmas, an evolutionary time in the history of Christmas and in the development of the post-industrial era in America. The response to those episodes continues to roll in, and many folks are frankly surprised the role that culture played in so many of our Christmas traditions. This year we continue to examine Christmas in much the same way by dedicating a decade to each episode. 
we will be looking at the things that happened to continue to shape our modern Christmas from the 20th century. As we do this, perhaps we should look at our present-day Christmas and how we continue to evolve our celebrations. Christmas, as we know, is special. In fact, we've known it for a long time, and we have long tried to explain it. Way back in 1903, in an editorial in a newspaper in Alabama, was this thought about Christmas and what it all means. Quote, Among all evenings in the year, and all the days, there is no other evening like Christmas Eve, no other day like Christmas Day. The world looks different through this Christmas atmosphere. It is like an unseen halo that glorifies and makes holy every good thought and impulse, unquote. I don't think that statement is much different than what we can say about Christmas today. Perhaps no other symbol of the Christmas season better straddled the Victorian era and the 20th century like the Christmas tree. While even then the origins of the Christmas tree were debated and a lot of bad history about it was published, it had by the year 1900 become a nearly universal tradition of Christmas. In a time when trees were mostly still all real, it was beyond a doubt an established tradition and an element of the season. Some history sites out there throw out statistics that, say, only one in five people had a tree at the turn of the century. And I tell you, that's patently false. made-up fact that the uninformed like to throw around with no proof or basis in reality. It was more like 90%, folks. People just loved Christmas trees. From a Pennsylvania newspaper published in 1910 comes this startling statement in an article they titled The Biography of the Christmas Tree. They said, until 60 years ago, meaning 1850, there were very, very few Christmas trees in America, and now nearly every home has one, regardless of whether or not they are religious, unquote. In fact, the personal Christmas tree is one of the hallmarks of the 20th century Christmas. Previously, it was common for people to attend events, in churches mostly, where they could see a Christmas tree for the first time. Journals from the 19th century commonly highlight this as a stunning new revelation to Christmas, the first time they see a tree. The first Christmas tree always seemed to have the biggest impact, even if it was only lighted by tapers or decorated with popcorn. By the turn of the century, however, having your own tree and selecting it and decorating it had become a full-fledged tradition of the season. From the Hobart Daily Republican in Hobart, Oklahoma, came a report common in many cities and towns. They said, quote, as is the custom of the Salvation Army everywhere, the local corps will give a free Christmas dinner and a free Christmas tree for every child. Unquote. This was the hope and the expectation at Christmas in nearly every home, regardless of religious affiliation. Irving Berlin, who in later decades would write the biggest selling Christmas song of all time in White Christmas, was born in 1888. And though his family was Jewish, he recalled with fondness years later the Christmas tree that they had in his home growing up. 
This is actually an important part of not only Irving Berlin history to remember, but it's also important to recall the power of Christmas on the lives of all everyday Americans. A lot of historians like to point out the sadness in Berlin's life that made Christmas a tough time of year for him due to the losses that he would suffer later as an adult. But his inspiration for White Christmas and its creation did not come from the swaying palm trees of California, as the song famously opens with, but rather with the simple and traditional celebration of Christmas in his home growing up, where the Christmas tree played a central and influential role. So what was the talk about Christmas trees during this time frame? Well, for one, Christmas tree safety was a huge issue all through the Victorian era. After all, trees then, if they were lighted at all, were lit with candles. The alarms of fire companies and the ringing of their bells were as much a part of Christmas as the tree in those days. Christmas lights had been invented back in the 1880s, but they were only starting to become a thing for regular consumers by the turn of the century. Listen to how electric lights for trees were described in newspapers at the time. Quote, Nothing is so satisfactory and safe for illuminating the Christmas tree as tiny electric bulbs of different colors scattered thickly through the branches and attached to wires which receive their power from a portable battery. In a house having electric service, the wires from the tree may be connected with one of the house wires and the separate battery will not be necessary. Unquote. Most houses, even in the early 20th century, did not have electric power. So the availability of Christmas lights was very much a new thing. Well, what did they cost? Most newspapers at the time show that two to three dozen bulbs with wires and batteries would cost four to six dollars. Well, that might not sound like much today, but when figured for inflation, that is the equivalent of 150 to 200 bucks today, So not a lot of people had lights on their trees back then. In fact, if they wanted to see Christmas lights, they most likely had to go to a church or somewhere central in the community to catch a tree with lights. For most in small-town America, that just wasn't an option in the first decade of the 20th century. But if they didn't see light, they certainly heard about Christmas lights. Since about 1895, when President Grover Cleveland put the first Christmas tree with lights on it in the White House, it became something of a novelty to hear about Christmas trees that had been, as some newspapers put it, electrified. How did they report it? Well, that's a fun thing to research. In Augusta, Georgia, for Christmas 1906, they reported it like this, After several weeks of laborious work requiring an expenditure of over $2,000 and the constant attention of expert electricians, a new lighting arrangement has been installed in St. Patrick's Catholic Church and will be used for the first time at Christmas services. A test was made of the lights last night. Those who witnessed the exhibition were astounded at the remarkable effect produced. Unquote. The magic of electric lights at Christmas was not limited to just trees. It also proved to be quite the novelty for Christmas shopping, which had long been an American tradition, but one that went to a whole new magical level with electric lights. That is, until the lights went out for a while. 
From the Baltimore American of 1904 came this report of lights out in Chicago during the Christmas shopping season there. Quote, in the great department stores jammed with Christmas shoppers, the sudden darkness caused wild excitement. The proprietors, fearing wholesale pilfering, ordered all doors locked and summoned details of police to guard the buildings. The crowd swayed back and forth, howling for freedom and for light. Unquote. One thing carried over from the 19th century was the annual lecture about Christmas fire safety. In fact, the electric light very quickly became a central part of the debate over even allowing open flames on a Christmas tree. In 1908 in Cleveland, an ordinance was debated that prohibited the sale and use of fireworks at Christmas time. But the man pushing the law said, quote, I am also in favor of prohibiting the use of candles on Christmas trees. Christmas trees may be illuminated by electric lights without any danger. Every year people are burned to death or badly injured through Christmas tree fires. In a city the size of Cleveland, new regulations must be provided to ensure the public safety. Unquote. The commercial aspects of Christmas, both good and bad, certainly was not a new thing by the first decade of the 20th century. As Stan Freeberg later famously said, Christmas has two S's in it and they're both dollar signs. American merchants had made hay at Christmas ever since they figured out that Santa Claus was a better salesman than a saint. But identifying the trends of what sold and what was popular at Christmas was not quite so easy in the early 20th century. There was no 24-hour news cycle, no popular recordings, no movie stars or other instantly communicated cultural icons to set trends. In those days, when something picked up steam, it genuinely went viral by popular demand. The most prolific hot thing of the first decade of the century for Christmas was the teddy bear. The story of the teddy bear actually spans a couple of continents and years of time, but it all came to a head in the very early 1900s. Stuffed animals as toys was certainly something that was not new. Little girls had been enjoying rag dolls for centuries, though they were mostly homemade. Boys, too, had toys made in animal form, usually a crude horse. But like many things Christmas, the start of stuffed animals as a craze began in Germany. There, a German businesswoman, stricken with polio, produced a pincushion fashioned after a pattern found in a popular woman's magazine. What made this pincushion unique was that it was shaped like an elephant. While the product was marketed to women, they were shocked to see it was broadly appealing to children, and parents were buying them as toys, not as pincushions. Soon, other animal-shaped pincushions were produced, and they too sold better as toys, especially at Christmas. At a toy fair in 1903, the bear-shaped pincushions caught the eye of an American wholesaler who saw dollar signs by promoting them at Christmas as toys. Around that very same time, the President of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt, made the news when on a hunting trip a bear was leashed to a tree so that he could kill it, an act that Roosevelt rightly refused to participate in. The story of Teddy refusing to kill the bear 
who was somehow always depicted in editorial cartoons as cute and cuddly, was perfectly timed to coincide with the pipeline of bear toys imported at Christmas time. Merchants naturally began to prop the small, cuddly bears in store windows and called them teddy bears. An American legend and a real phenomenon of Christmas merchandising was born. In the century since, the teddy bear has never lost its popularity. As we continue to look at the 20th century, it soon becomes clear that the most popular culture productions in movies and in music would become an enduring influence on Christmas. But during this first decade of the 20th century, there were no movie houses, no televisions, and very few real ways to play recorded music in homes. It is true that Thomas Edison is credited with inventing the phonograph. At the time, previous inventors had created devices that could record sounds. However, it wasn't until Edison's invention that a machine could reproduce that recorded sound output. His phonograph, which he sometimes referred to as a speaking machine, used a steel needle that would carve the sound vibrations from a spoken voice into a sheet of tin foil. That foil wrapped around a cylinder, and it was hand-cranked to record the sounds. This invention was a novelty that did not sell well, and Edison ultimately went on to pursue other inventions, including his best-known light bulb, which had a huge impact on Christmas. The first recorded music was, in fact, the song Jingle Bells, a feat accomplished in the year 1889. But by even the first decade of the new century, the recorded play of Christmas music was simply not available, and radio had yet to make its debut. While the technology of music was still developing during the first decade of the 20th century, so too was the technology of film. In fact, it was a little further along. The first motion picture dates from 1878, and you can see it now on YouTube, a stunning two-second clip showing 19th century folks romping around a garden. It took another 20 years before a Christmas-themed production took to film. In 1898, Santa Claus appeared for the first time in film. It was in a silent British short directed by George Albert Smith, who pioneered the practice of film editing and the usage of close-ups. He also worked as a stage hypnotist and a psychic, which influenced his use of special effects. In the film, two children eagerly wait for Santa Claus by their fireplace, but they're ordered to go to bed. While they sleep, Santa comes down the chimney and leaves presents for them. In the end, the children wake up and discover their presents. Transitions between these scenes are done with what they call jump cuts, superimposition, and sometimes double exposure, all of which were new at the time. 
Michael Brook of BFI Screen Online describes Santa Claus made in 1898 as, quote, a film of considerable technical ambition and accomplishment for the period, unquote. The film shows the children sleeping on one side of the screen while Santa lands on the roof on the other, which Brooks says is believed to be the cinema's earliest known example of parallel action. The result is one of the most visually and conceptually sophisticated British films made up to that time, unquote. There are, in fact, several Christmas films that date from before 1910. All of them, of course, are silent movies, and most follow Dickens' A Christmas Carol, or traditional stories such as A Little Girl Who Did Not Believe in Santa Claus. While nothing in film or music from that decade survives as classics of Christmas now, it is a worthy pursuit to look these things up on YouTube. From them, you can clearly see the influence that film and music would play in the decades ahead. The art and practice of celebrating Christmas during the first decade of the 20th century was surprisingly familiar. There were Christmas trees, Santa Claus, and gift-giving. Christmas was influenced by the written media mostly during these years. Christmas stories were published in newspapers and magazines, and true stories were usually the most celebrated and highlighted. Christmas card sending was a popular holdover tradition of the 19th century, and it had, in fact, become something of an element in the dating scene, as young adults would use card sending as a means of forcing introductions. It was popular to post addresses in groups formed by newspapers during the month of December for the purpose of sending Christmas cards to other fans of Christmas who were unmarried. This 20th century tradition was added to an already rabid popularity attached to sending Christmas cards, Articles in the news from 1900 to 1910 every season spoke to the effect that sending cards had on the post office. Here's what a New York newspaper said in 1907, quote, 10 million souvenir postcards have passed through the New York post office within the 24 hours preceding Christmas morning. The Christmas rush was unprecedented this year. Uh, up to 5 p.m., nearly $90,000 worth of postage stamps, mostly of the one-cent variety, had been purchased. One firm turned in 90,000 cards. All the brand offices, branch offices, had to get special men to handle all of the mail, unquote. Each year during this first decade, the reports of floods of Christmas cards overwhelmed the Christmas news. Each year was worse than the one before for the post office. Said a Philadelphia paper in 1908, quote, post office officials declared yesterday that they have never experienced anything like this before. The mail was by far the heaviest ever recorded in the city within a similar period. The increased force, which has been at work now for more than a week, will be retained until the last Christmas parcel and card is safe in the hand of the person to whom it is addressed, unquote. Thank you.
you for joining us on this episode of the Merry Little Podcast. We welcome your suggestions and comments by visiting us on the Merry Forums of MyMerryChristmas.com or by emailing me, Jeff, at MyMerryChristmas.com. And as always, if you are an artist or a Christmas creator with something of Christmas to share, please don't hesitate to contact us here at My Merry Christmas. For all of us at the Merry Forums, this is Jeff Westover wishing you and yours a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.